You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So this week's guest is someone who's been on my radar for a while and who has been requested by a few of you listeners, including an email I got from Laurie Marlowe, who wrote to me saying, I am a 62-year-old physical therapist and have been an avid cyclist and Nordic skier since my early 20s. A friend turned me on to your podcast recently, and I have to say I've been a little obsessed. Great content, great guests, and just so many good bits of wisdom and information. Thank you, Laurie. Anyway, she goes on to say, personally, I've been able to maintain a high level of fitness throughout this process, thanks to proper training and nutrition, not to mention a great group of mostly menopausal women who I ride and train with. And of course, my coach, Julie Young, has been super helpful in directing me to the right combination of intensity and rest. With a master's degree in sports science and human performance and a lifetime of competing at a high level of athletic performance, Julie would be a great guest on your podcast. Julie's personal accomplishments include 2019 Single Speed U.S. National Championships. She won that, which is amazing. And first place in 2018 Leadville 100 in the Single Speed category, which I can't even both of which she accomplished over the age of 50. Julie is a contributor to Vela News and Fast Talk Labs and recently was an online guest for the Perimenopause Athlete Summit presenting on perimenopausal athletes and beyond. Julie also had a 12 plus year racing career as a national team rider racing in Europe and for pro teams like Saturn. And she's considered one of America's most dominant European stage races of her era. As a quote-unquote retired pro, Julie continues to push herself, competing and winning in gravel, cyclocross, mountain bike, Xterra, and trail running events, winning a 50K trail national championship. Julie now works as the sports science specialist at the Kaiser Sports Medicine Endurance Lab, where she does physiology testing, including lactate threshold, VO2 max, metabolic efficiency, and so forth. And if all of that weren't enough, Julie is a certified specialized body geometry bike fit technician and a certified medicine of cycling bike fitter. She is also the owner of Julie Young Training, where she provides individual coaching on all of this. So yeah, I had her on the show. I think the biggest takeaway, honestly, I got from our conversation was this. It is great to educate yourself on the physiology of the menstrual cycle and perimenopause and menopause and aging itself. But then it's really, really important to remember that you are a unique individual and you will experience all of these things in your very own way. What I go through won't necessarily be what you go through. And while we can absolutely learn from one another, first and foremost, we have to hone in and know and work with ourselves. In my conversations with Julie leading up to the show, she told me this. Generally, I live my life by not fixating on what science and society tells me I should be experiencing or doing based on my age, but more focus on using every day to continue to learn and improve. 
For me personally, if all I thought about was fighting deterioration, I would be unmotivated and depressed. And listening to the chatter on some of the social media channels and some of the chatter on my own head, frankly, I think that these are words that we can all live by. And I think you'll really appreciate Julie's perspective on this in our conversation and this show. So check it out. It's, it's, a, it's a thought-provoking conversation. Okay, enough of me. Little weekly reminder to come join us on our social media channels. We are at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have that Hit Play, Not Pause private Facebook channel where you can come on in and ask anything that's on your mind. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsorship discounts. You can learn about all of that at feistymenopause.com. Oh, and a reminder that we have that email, like the one I got today that led to the show, and you can drop in, give me a line, tell me what you want to hear. I am at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. Finally, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have continued to give me stars and hearts and great reviews, and the show is continuing to grow, which makes which makes my heart grow. It makes me really excited. So thank you very much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So let's have a quick word now from our generous and awesome sponsors and get on with the show with Julie Young. Women who ride bikes, and I am most certainly one of them, know that finding women's cycling clothing can be an exercise in frustration, right? And that's why I am so psyched that one of my favorite women-owned and operated clothing companies, Velarosa, has come on as a sponsor of Hit Play, Not Pause. Velarosa's kits feature bold, beautiful, colorful prints and patterns. And the collections, which I really love, are designed so you can mix and match the coordinating pieces to get more mileage out of your cycling wardrobe. Best of all, they fit like a dream. The chamois is super comfortable and perfectly placed. The yoga waistband hugs your midsection without digging in anywhere. And the leg bands are like 100% functional and flattering with no squeezy sausage leg effect that is a big nope for me. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, Velarosa's got you covered beautifully. And now, thanks to their sponsorship, Hit Play, Not Pause listeners can get 15% off their first order at VelarosaCycling.com. Just enter the code HITPLAY, all caps, one word, at checkout. Again, that's VelarosaCycling.com, the code HITPLAY for 15% off. So go get some sweet Velarosa Cycling clothing today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. 
Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests. And their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests, like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause. I can tell you it works. So your recent personal accomplishments, because I just need to talk about this, include the 2019 single speed U.S. national champion, first place, right, at Leadville in 2018 for the 100 single speed also, um, both of which over age 50. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Can, before we get to the rest of it, what is it about your love of single speeding at events that I would think are, are not maybe ripe for single speeding like Leadville. yeah it's so funny you know like you never say never and I remember going out the year to with my two clients to Leadville and I was driving out with one of them and we're just like talking like oh gosh can you imagine because we did this the qualifier for Leadville and a guy was on a single speed and we're like can you imagine ever doing a qualifier on a, on a single speed and then can you imagine ever doing a like Leadville on a single speed like no never and <laughs> I don't know it's funny you know like I just I just felt like it was a different kind of mindset being on a single speed for like races that I've done trails that I've done that kind of were kind of like, Ugh. and honestly, like for Leadville, it sounds so silly, but my, my bar was pretty low. Like it was basically my objective, like keep turning the pedals over like certain points don't fall over, you know, <laughs> try to ride, try to ride as much as I can. Like, it was like this different kind of game, you know, like everybody around me was like, amped and kind of racing and I was just riding my bike. And, um, so anyway, you know, and I know with Leadville, like there's no, I mean, with so many courses, there's never going to be a perfect gear. And, um, when I went out, I went out about a week early and I, I was riding the gear that I, I ride in Tahoe and I did St. Kevin's. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I am in such big trouble. What have I done? Like I was so freaked out and so that's humble. the first climb of the day for people who don't know and it it is it, it's a climb it's 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 deep yeah and, and people don't talk about it you know they should it, it, <laughs> they should and it's pitchy and I was like oh brother what have I done and what I was your gearing do you remember 3219 okay yeah and then uh so I just kept riding that week and then I'm like okay I think this will work you know and um you know, I know, you know, with Leadville, like the whole key there are the flats and just getting into good groups and being able to conserve and sit in and relax. And, you know, I was in a relatively good group, but 130 RPMs. So that lasted about yep. three minutes. So I ended up riding the flats on my own, but it, you know, it was okay. It was just, and then it was funny. Cause it's like, I don't keep track of this stuff, but my friend said, yeah, and Columbine, you pass 50 people on that climb. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, cause you're just like, you have no choice. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, okay, this is my gear and just try to be smooth. And 
So I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I just like the simplicity. People think I'm totally nuts, but I just like the simplicity of it. Oh, I, I like single speeding. I just, after doing Leadville in the stage race, it would never be my weapon of choice. But, you know, I imagine if I lived there and it was a race that I, I did more often, I would, I would end up trying it just because. Like, yeah. 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 Just because. Yeah. Just because. No, that, that's, that's very cool. And, and a little bit, I, I, your career is interesting because you mentioned skiing, which I did not know. You had that 12 year career as a national team rider and you also are an ultra runner, correct? Can you talk a little bit about your. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell life? you like, yeah, it's on, honestly like even as a little kid, just so drawn to sport. And I think I was super shy. So it was like basically my expression and my voice. And so you know, I was always the driver. Like my parents were along for the ride and like, I want to do swim team. I want to play little league. I want to soccer Alpine ski race. And so really soccer and Alpine ski racing were my love and was, um, an all Metro soccer player in high school and tore my ACL and just like was devastated because on the way to college scholarship for soccer and, and just emotionally just like pick myself up and like, okay, what can I do with a bad knee? You know, it's, Oh, I can play golf. And so as a sophomore in high school, I started playing golf and was accepted to UCLA and walked on their, their golf team, made their, made their traveling team oh, wow. um, and played, played golf at UCLA um, was an academic all American there. And, and then just started having some issues with the coach in terms of qualifying and would qualify for tournaments. And she'd take other folks that she had recruited kind of, you know, for the, whatever reason. Um, so I just decided I was at this crossroads, whether I continue, you know, is my education at UCLA more important than pursuing golf and going to like a small liberal arts college in Florida. And I just realized I didn't love golf. You know, mm -hmm. it was kind of this thing in my mind, like I'm super determined. And when I say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And, um, but just, it didn't give me that joy and that love that other sports like skiing or soccer or now now cycling give to me so I was just really at that crossroads and made the decision to stay at UCLA and and and, and get my my uh, degree there and yeah and then uh came home and had a had a job in foreign investment and just by chance saw a, a human interest story on two um brothers from the Sacramento area the McKinley brothers who at the time were on 7-eleven and um, it was about them potentially going to uh, the Olympics for cycling. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like, who knew, who knew you could race your bike in America. And so like literally that next day, just ran to the bike shop and like, how do I do this? What do I do? And so that was kind of the start of that. Wow. That's awesome. And then when yeah. did you get into the ultra running? That was after cycling. Okay. So that's you know, weird. I, not well, I don't know. So, you know, like as a cyclist, like I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Loved the lifestyle, loved everything about it. But I just remember being home in between trips, like European trips and just having to rest in Tahoe and going like, like today, it's a beautiful day and thinking, I really, I just want to go hike or I want to go run or, and you know, and your coach was like, no, you can't do that. Like you got to stay off your feet. And so it's just, again, like, I don't know, for me, like athletics has always been this outlet, like I said, even as a little kid, it's just been my expression. It's been, you know, just something, it's not about the competition for me. Mm -hmm. It's just really like this way I challenge myself. And 
So it was like, okay, like trail running, that's cool. Like it's simple. And I remember like going to my first race and go, okay, I felt so weird because it's like, do I have everything? Okay. Got my clothes on, got my shoes on and I have a water bottle, you know, it's like, this is so great. It's like no mechanicals, no equipment. And I just, honestly, I fell in love with the simplicity of it and like the tranquility. And I still love trail running, you know, so. Yeah. For longevity in sport, you know, trail running has a reputation as being, well, not trail running, but running specifically has a reputation of being harder to maintain longevity than um, cycling does. So I would, being a trail runner myself, I think that that helps with some, it's helped with my longevity in running for sure. It's not as repetitive. It's got some elements to it. I think that help keep me healthy. Um, What are your thoughts on that? You know, we have a lot of readers who do our readers. I'm a writer too. We have a lot of listeners who do both, you know, they're both the triathletes, they're the runners and they're cyclists. Do you have thoughts yeah. on like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I think the combination is so perfect. You know, I feel like, I guess as cyclists and, and runners, we're pretty linear in the way we move and trail running, you know, you really have to engage your trunk you have mm-hmm. like you're nimble, you have to be agile and balanced. And, and I also, you know, I love the fact it's engaging, just like, like mountain biking, super, mm-hmm. you have to be present, you have to be there. And, um, but I also think, you know, kind of like, I, I think it's just fun. J- just generally, I think it's fun. But I also think it's good to have that impact on our bones as, as cyclists, you know, and, and quite honestly, running is kind of like a plyometric. It is kind of a mini plyometric trying to create that, that force. So I think it really does help me with my cycling too. Yeah, no, I would agree. I always feel better when I'm I'm mixing it up a little bit than when I get very singularly focused. I always have. Um, So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about how, cause you have had such longevity in sport. And, you know, as you know, the show is really based for women in this transitionary period where the hormones are changing and things are changing. Um, how have you adapted your own training over time? You know, it's crazy. Like I was thinking about this yesterday and I mean, I don't, it's, it's, I mean, I think, you know, as, as I, obviously you enter into the workforce, right? So like you're a pro athlete and then you enter into the workforce. In some ways, I feel like that's a blessing because you don't have all this time on your hands to be thinking about training or to be able to train and just you're training, you're training like concisely and efficiently and effectively. And, and it's not like more, which I'm not a believer in more at all. But so I think it's just kind of just nature of how life has evolved and, and, you know, having a job and not having all the time in the world to train has been the way I've really evolved and curtailed my training. And I mean, honestly, I I very much follow a similar format to how I was training when I was racing on the national team. Like I, I have kind of a formula, you know, and it seems to work and it's, it's very similar. And again, for me, like the training, I love the challenge of training. I love like kind of get I still it's so weird but I still get excited about like oh like an interval workout you know I'm kind of excited how am I gonna do you know and I just love mentally just being so in it and just being so focused and just you know I, I just have this belief that every day I can learn and improve you know even at this point I really do believe that and so like every day I'm out doing an interval or feeling something different or trying something different so you know generally I would say my training hasn't changed a heck of a lot other than just the, the volume kind of taking down the volume just by virtue of having a job. Do you train yourself? 
I do. Are you self-coached? Okay. I am. Yeah. You don't, you don't find that tricky. Do you find that tricky? You know, it's funny. So like kind of going back to national team days, like I, I read Greg Lamont's book and I love that book. And I, I trained myself my first year. So that's how I got on the national team. So like, you know, like I, I rode, I raced a bike for half a year and then was in, was ID'd by national team to come to a camp. And then that next winner was asked to come to the national team camp. And from there, that's when they selected me for the national team. But I trained myself through that. Like I read Greg Lamont's book and did what he said. And so anyway, I just, um, and then after that, you know, when I was on the national team had a variety of coaches. And so just, just to understand that, that relationship. And, you know, now I I don't find it tricky because I just, I don't feel like I have anything on the line. Like it's just, Mm. you know, it's just me. It's again, it's total self-challenge. It's yeah. It's funny that you say that. I've never even thought about hiring a coach. I always do. I cannot coach myself. Like I, yeah. I just, I'm, I will second guess myself to death. Um, you know, I, and I, and I, and honestly it's work. So that's the other piece is it's more fun for me. Like when you talk about the fun, like yes. it's more fun for me to open up a plan that somebody's put together and be like, Oh, what do they have in store for me today? Then me yeah. go, what am I going to do for my, like, I, like my mindset just won't work that way. Like, it's like, Oh, I have to come up with something for myself to do, you know? And then it's just like another thing on my to-do list as opposed to like, a treat in its own way this you know yes yeah yes yeah so and I um, do think for sure like especially with you know for people that are busy and there's so much information out there now like for good or bad and so many opinions and you know you're on your ride and this person's doing that and this person's doing that and I think really to have someone filter all that information somebody you trust And like, there's so many different ways to get from point A to point B, but just having a good system. And you just, like you said, you don't have to think about it and kind of take your, your, uh, you know, just like go feel good about it and just trust and be on your way. I've always changed coaches too. And it's nothing personal. And that my coaches know that it's just that I respond really well to new stimulus, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like changing and getting a different, a different person's approach. Like you said, to get to point B from point A has always been really beneficial for me. Like I just, cause, cause the body's adaptive. Right. So I think even getting into the same pattern, sometimes I get into a bit of a rut, maybe that's more mental than physical, but it doesn't matter. In the end of the day, it's kind of both. Um, Yeah. You know, you came to me with a ringing endorsement from a couple of your athletes actually, but one of them, you know, who said that the biggest thing that you did for her was help her balance uh, intensity and rest, you know, and I'm hearing like yourself, bringing down some volume. I'm imagining you're talking about intervals. You keep your intensity. How do you help people? Cause I think, I feel like that's such a big piece, especially as we're in this menopausal transition and afterwards, like the getting that balance, right. seems to me so important to maintain the performance that you want when you want it. Right. You know, I was thinking about this Celine and honestly, it's no different than anybody else. Like, I think it really, to me, like, you know, we all need rest. And I think it's the biggest, the biggest missing thing for most athletes. I think it's the hardest thing for most athletes to do. And quite honestly, I think that's the greatest value I give to my athletes sometimes is just the fact that I keep on them to rest. And, um, you know, I think it's for me again, like this is no different than, you know, anybody I coach, 
it's listening to the athlete and truly listening to the athlete and really understanding the demands of their life. And, you know, I think this is, I think what we do is harder than being like a pro athlete in many ways, because you have so many different stressors and you really need to take all that into consideration. And you're adding this other layer of stress and just really helping athletes take care of themselves. And it's not, like I said, I am so not a more is better type like coach or athlete, no matter your age, you know, I just, I don't believe in it. Um, but it's really about being as diligent with your rest as you are your workouts. And, you know, I think this is like when we start feeling awesome and like making gains and invincible, and we just want to keep pushing. And that's where you really have to pull back on the reins and again, be as diligent about those active recovery days and, and rest days during the week and those rest weeks at the end of a like three week build or however, however coaches do that. Um, I also am just a huge advocate of like off bike work. Like I just, and I know this is a growing trend, but you know, consistent stability, trunk and hip stability work, you know, good, a good phase of strength work. So I think all of those pieces are super important for durability and recovery. Mm. How do, how do you help athletes know, or do you just tell them, like, how do you help them know when they, when they, cause like you said, you get into those periods where you're like, oh, I don't want to stop because I feel so great, you know, and like, and when, and it's always, you see it all the time when someone doesn't feel great. So a lot of times they feel like they need to work harder, <laughs> you know, like they're like, I really did road like crap today. So I need to do more <clears throat> intervals tomorrow. Um, True. You know, how, how do you help them? Do you, do, do you have them track themselves? Do you just go by like, what you're hearing from them a little of both I, do you help them feel that for themselves because i just i do really think like you said that that is the number one thing people just struggle with yeah yeah so i think it's all of those things so i use i'm sure a lot of coaches use training peaks so that's a, just mm -hmm. a neat i think it's a neat tool you know like to have everything in one place and now again good or bad we have so much data at our disposal and uh, I have a love hate with data, but it's, you know, so everything you mean like from home. whoop, whoop straps and aura rings and fit yeah, fits and garments yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So we have all that. And I think it's super helpful that that's all in one place. Mm -hmm. But for me, the data just tells a, a sliver and it's really, again, that, that communication and that, that continual open, honest communication with the athlete you know, and I think you, again, you really have to understand your athlete, like everybody ticks so differently, you know, and, and maybe there's athletes that do things that they're just trying to please the coach thing, things like that. So I think just understanding, and I, I also think it's important that you educate the athlete on why they're doing this, you know, and keep, keep hammering all the time. Like, okay, fitness equals training stress plus rest. It can't happen with one or the other and keep saying like rest is training, rest is training, rest is training. And it's so hard. Like they feel so guilty, but I think the biggest hook for athletes is when they, they take that leap of faith and they really rest. And then they realize how good they feel when they come back rested. It's like such an aha. And I think that you can tell people all day long, it's good for you, but until they feel it and experience it, that's oh, 100%. the real hook. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people you need to let it sink in. You yeah. can't just keep, yeah, you need to let it sink in. And that, that means 
rest, break down, yes. build up, break down, build up. It's, it's hard. It's, it is very hard. Yes. Um, I do want to talk how, because I, I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of women in our groups who are looking for coaches who will help them because, you know, and I know this personally, and when I've talked to elite athletes from Rebecca Rush to Magda Boulay, and I could go on and on, I mean, they have all said that they've had to, to make some adjustments, you know, body composition changes. They get hot flashes on the run. You know, their thermal regulation is difficult. Uh, it, mood swings. Like there's a lot of things, especially like this, just those three to five years in this transition for some women, it's not so bad. And some women it's very bad. You know, they have joint pain. Is it, is it a matter of finding a coach that you can just talk to that can help you adjust your training as you go through those patches? You know, like how, like how is, how are they best served? I guess is my question. Yeah. And I think, I think this is very similar to like our, the conversations we're having about the menstrual cycle, you know, right. like right. everybody is totally different. And I think it's really, I mean, it's not in, it's not in your head you know, when you're feeling that way. But I also feel like there's a side that of me that's like, okay, like, you don't have to resign yourself to these generalizations either. You know what I mean? You don't have to say, oh, this is what menopause is all about. And that's what I'm going to expect. And that's what's going to happen to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I do, I do. It's it's a, it's a fine, I feel like it's a fine line because there are women that get like migraines and get huge swings and all kinds of stuff. But I also, to your point, like, I race through a lot of crappy nights of sleep and hot flashes and all that kind of stuff. And, and you can sort of put it somewhere, you right. can, you know, I mean, you deal with it in the way, like you would, like you're saying with the menstrual cycle, I mean, yes, I'm going to have this PMS. I feel bloated. I need to, I'm, you know, I would take care of my hydration different and do what I could and then just be like, here we go. You know, <laughs> Like, and that's just, yeah. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, as people approach that maybe, and just kind of like, Oh, this is what's going to happen to me. Like, no, that doesn't, that's not necessarily what's going to happen to you, you know? But I think to your point, like it is, it's just about listening to the athlete and like the training plans I provide are very individual. So week to week, I don't give like four and six week blocks. And the reason for that is just understanding how, how's this week going, what's coming up next week in terms of life commitments and that sort of thing. But it's being super nimble and always flexing the training plan to the athlete. And if I get a text like, Oh, terrible night of rest. Perfect. Boom. Push everything to the right. You know, it's super easy. And I do think it's, it's not complicated. It's just about listening and just being able to adapt kind of on the fly. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like what you're saying is also beneficial because so often we let one bad day become much bigger than it is, right? Like it gets in your head that, oh, I missed this or I did that. And then that's just going to wreck my performance. And I have this thing in two weeks. And if I don't hit this and, and if you just like relax, you don't add that layer of stress upon this already, you know, stressful situation. It's, it becomes a self-fulfilling thing at some point, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. And I was, you know, I want to be delicate because I do know this is this, these are real things that people are dealing with, but I also agree with you. Like, I think just as humans, we're always looking for those things to limit us. Like we, mm. we, we really are easy to fall victim to that. And I agree with you. Like, 
you know, it's about just kind of knowing what you want. And just like you said, you've had crummy nights of rest and you've done great in races. You know, it's, it's, you can do it. Like you really say magic takes over. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, and I always think no matter like menopausal or whatever, we're always capable of more than we allow ourselves to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Might not feel that fun at the time, but I really do believe that. No, and, and you and you live it. And, you know, in our conversations, you were very clear that you um, were resentful, perhaps, about some of the societal limitations and the uh, continual ageism that exists. And I, I'd love you to be able to speak to that a little bit as, as an athlete who is, you know, still kicking ass and, you know, no matter what a number says about you should be doing or not doing. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, for me, I'm not like, I don't want to be a poster child, like by any no, means, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I really so that shouldn't like, be I my just... title poster child. No. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just like, I really love this. I've always loved this. It's always been an important part of the way I tick, you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. I've saved thousands on pharmaceuticals, you know, it's like my mental health, physical health, everything. And it's just like, I'm not out there to try to prove a point, but I'm also not going to just be like pigeonholed and limited based on what people think I should be doing or how I should be doing it based on my age, you know, and that's a, that's a bummer. It's a real big bummer. Like, again, like I'm not out there to prove a point, but I also want to keep living my life and keep challenging myself and feeling like the empowerment that comes from like that self-challenge. Yeah. And it, and it can be, annoying to be perceived as that poster child, right? Like when I remember, do you, do you remember who Tony Randall was? He used to, he was an actor. He was yeah. an older actor. Yes, and he I fathered, do remember. He fathered a child, you know, into his seventies. He was like a, a, a Broadway actor. He was on the odd couple back in the day, yeah. you know, and he, he, um, I was supposed to interview him for men's health and I'll never forget. I got this voice message back from him and it was, unmistakably Tony Randall because he had this deep actor's voice and he's like I'm a little tired of being pigeonholed as a remarkable old man I'll pass on this one and I was like okay I get it <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> you know? but I think but I, I feel that way I feel like you know even when I was racing in my 40s like people would be like oh wow, you're still, and I'm like, I, am I supposed to stop? Like, it never even occurred to me, right. you know what I mean? Right. That I was supposed to be stopping. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I'm still out there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's exactly how I feel. Like when people say, still, are you still racing? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and again, it's it's not for sure not to prove a point. It's just, I love it. It makes me tick, you know? And again, it's not about the competition at all. It's it's that thing I own. It's that, that place where I like my, you know, as I, came from pro athletes into the business world, I realized, oh my gosh, like other people's decisions and indecision and actions always can blur the outcome. And I feel like as an athlete, like you have, you own it, you know, okay, I work hard, pretty much like you you see the results. And I love still having that in my life, like that little thing I own. And I can, you know, like I said, the days like I'm doing intervals, I'm excited and keep getting better. And so anyway, that that's the reason I keep doing it. So let's talk about physiology a little bit since I have you here and you, you know, work in a physiology lab and do a lot of that testing. Um, you know, you do a, a great deal of, of, you know, VO2 max and lactate and metabolic, metabolic efficiency. And, I, and I'm curious. Um, 
how well all of these physiological parameters that we, we, we love to measure can be trained and maintained um, with the right approach, you know, over time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously there's things happening, you know, I think yeah. we all feel that right. Like for sure. I think the, the body composition is a, is a big one, you know, that, that we're working against a bit. Um, but I think generally like a lot of these things that we're, we're basing like this, this deterioration based on age are like the general public. And I don't think we're anything like the general public, you know? And um, I think a lot of why we see this deterioration is just lives become more sedentary. And so, you know, it is just keeping like, you know, sure VO2 is going to drop a little bit, but it, it doesn't have to be significant. And like in terms of threshold, you know, I, I have athletes like in their fifties and even sixties that are still setting PRs on like kill climbs and TTs. And to me, that's reflective of threshold, you know, maintaining that, maybe improving that. And, um, and then I think with like metabolic efficiency, you know, again, I think that just boils down to like training and nutrition and that's something you can continue to improve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do some, do certain factors you talked on strength a little bit, um, that seems to be something that is, that is keenly important for master's athletes, right? Like the strength piece, the mobility piece. Do you, do you coach people to do that year round? I don't. So, I mean, typically, well, in some respects, so, you know, most of the athletes I train are summer athletes. So, you know, summer, summer goals. And then as we phase into fall, like really capitalize on fall as the time to dedicate to strength mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's just, you know, this, like how valuable it is to train year round. I, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, like it frustrates me as a coach when I have somebody come to me like, Oh, I have an event in three months or I have a month, you know, I just want to kind of clobber them because it's like <laughs> have respect, you know, kind of have respect for the process. And to me, like the love, like the luxury of year round training is like, you get to have like these, it doesn't feel like this huge cram session. Like you're trying to, you already have a busy life and you're trying to cram all this element of training into a busy life. It's like, no, you have this luxury, like, okay, fall can be dedicated to strength and, and the endurance kind of takes a back seat and we really make that the priority. And then, you know, we do like a 16 week block of, you know, strength, endurance and max strength and power. And then as the kind of, we turn the calendar and, the focus then becomes the more like the athletic events and those become priority, then that energy, the energy needs to be expended there. And, but yet we keep like at least one day of strength in and, and maybe some plyometrics to maintain and, and keep building on that. And I think for me, like when I was an athlete, um, working with coaches, like some coaches, like I worked with, um, Max Testa, if you know that name, um, like I love Max, he's the best guy ever, but he didn't believe in strength. And because at that time he felt like you dedicate this time to strength and then you quit, but that's the difference. That's where science has changed. Like, okay, dedicate this time to strength, but then just one day of some good maintenance work can maintain that. It's amazing um, how well it can maintain it. And I wish I could yeah. get that through to people because yeah. somewhere along the line, people got it in their head that if it wasn't two to three times a week, it didn't, it was nothing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like it was nothing yeah. was, and I'm, I'm just like, that doesn't even make sense. Do you know, right. like that doesn't even make any sense at all that you would tell me that like once a week won't do any good for you. You know, right. I'm, I'm not buying that. Right. Yeah. 
And it doesn't, it doesn't have to, again, I think we were just like kind of this all or nothing society. Like, Oh, if I can't invest five hours in the gym, it's not worth it. No, it's like, no, like 45 minutes, just go in there and hit it, hit it hard and be done. Yep. And if you feel like you did something, you did something, you know, I'm always like, do you feel like you did something? Yeah, exactly. Even the 20 minutes you got in there was worth something, you know, like like, that's how I feel. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Um, I'd like to move to, you know, your other, your other arm of specialty. Cause I know that you are um, a bike fit specialist and you also do gait analysis. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's talk broadly. I'm curious, like how, how often should people look at whether they're a runner or whether they're a cyclist, those, those components in their training, is that something that is you would recommend people do on a regular basis to look at, you know, make sure that they're still being efficient or maybe in the right position. And um, as far as maximizing their efficiency and also avoiding injury. Yeah. So bike fitting, I would, I'll take that one first. I mean, I think, you know, we like, I think most people don't understand how important bike fit is. I think they like biking. Hey, I've done it since a kid. I hop on my bike and I go. And, but everything changes the minute you lock your foot in. You know, Mm -hmm. you're locked at the hip and you're locked at the foot. And, you know, even though it is low impact, it's repetitive and you're you're locked. 5,400 revolutions an hour or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so I, what I love about the bike fit process is that it's such an opportunity to educate the athlete on, you know, it's not just, okay, this is the way we want you to look on the bike. It's what you bring to the table. Like what's your flexibility? What's your range of motion? That's what dictates the bike fit. And you know, I think a lot of times we can, uh, we can look at the guys or gals in the pro tour and we're like, okay, I want to look like that. And it's like, well, they don't even look good. You know, they have this curved spine, right. <laughs> and, you know, so it's like really helping to educate them on like the importance of posture, which has kind of become my soapbox, like, because holding good posture on the bike is the way, mm. you know, you create that platform for the hips, you create that, you know, your back is in a, in a very strong position and it's the way you can generate power. Like, I don't know about you, but if I see cyclists out on the road, I often see the curved, you know, curved spine kind of sitting in the back seat. And the minute you curve that spine and you posterior tilt, you've turned the big glute muscles off. That's why they so fall it's asleep like, and yeah, don't wake up again. Like this, yep. Yeah. It's kind of like this double whammy. Like you've put your back at an end of range where it's weak. You've turned your glutes off. So then you're leveraging like your back muscles, your hamstrings, all these things. And then you look at herniated discs and all that kind of stuff that pops up. Yeah. 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 So for me, like the bike fit process is so fun because you kind of connect these dots for the athlete. Like, okay, this is why like trend stability work is so important. And I'll just kind of take a, like a tangent here. Like when I'm writing training plans, I sometimes think, oh my God, this is so dumb. Like I'm telling this person to do 30 minutes of trend stability work like three days a week. But yet, like if I sit like this at the computer eight hours Mm -hmm. a day, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to affect much change. So it's like, if we want good posture to be our default posture on the bike, we need to be more like mindful during the day. So I think, you know, just like the importance of posture, the importance of good hip mobility and stability on the bike, good posterior chain, I have flexibility in terms of that ability to, you know, have, and I don't even think an aggressive position is necessary, but just be able to have like that good reach, like that Mm -hmm. good, you know, pinch at the hips with that flat back. It's all happens 
at the hamstrings. So I think for me, like bike fit, I really think like once a year, obviously I'm biased, but you know, we're changing. And if we get a new bike, you know, the geometry of that bike's going to change. And, you know, it's, it's like your ability, like you said, we want to reduce the injury of perhaps the knee, the back, but also be able to use that bike to the best of your ability and recruit around that circle, you know, pushing for us is supernatural because that's what we do all day is we push, but it's that like that scraping back motion that we need to train and that active unload. And so, you know, you just need to be in the right position to be able to do that. Yeah. And for, for women, and I, you know, I've covered this on other happy vaginas was the name of that show. (laughs) I talked about it, but um, you know, women sometimes, and it was just a big threat in it. in one of my social channels get, you know, vaginal pain, which is, which is not necessarily related to their position, but now those soft tissues are becoming more sensitive and more irritated. Um, is, is, does bike fit play a, a, a role at all, you know, maybe changing out saddles, or is this really something that their OB GYN needs to sort of help them out and get those tissues just more comfortable and resilient? I always feel like just take the help where you can get it. You yeah. know, maybe the bike fit isn't going to be the silver bullet, but it's for sure going to help. You know, Mm -hmm. like you need to, this was something that just shocked me after all my years of riding pro national team, like the saddle makes a difference. Like (laughs) we have different sit bone widths. Like I had no clue. And it's like, that is the most important starting point. Like you have to make sure that saddle is supporting you. And man, if it isn't, we can get so cockeyed on that saddle, you know, Mm -hmm. give one sit bone preferential treatment. And then that's going to affect how we're pedaling. It's going to affect our paraspinals. So, you know, I think just I for sure think that can help with like that soft tissue area and vaginal issues Mm -hmm. and then saddle height too. Right. Like if you're too high and you're rocking. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I agree. And then what about gait analysis for runners? Yeah. So with gait analysis, you know, I, I studied with Chris powers, he's down at USC and he's very much about like, the whole purpose of gait analysis is not to reinvent the runner. It's not to change like how you've been running. And I think, I don't know. I think we see like when runners try to reinvent themselves as four foot runners, we see a whole host of issues. It like opens up a whole new can of worms. So in the gait analysis that I do, it's really about just trying to identify areas where the runner can improve like stability, mobility. And I think it's, there's that ability to see yourself, is the best learning tool. And it's so impactful. So like, for example, a PT may have told a runner like, Oh, you have hip instability. But when the runner sees like this pelvic drop and their trunk lean, you know, it's like, okay, that's why you want to do that PT work, you know? And again, it's just connecting the dots. It gives them that visual impression of why they're doing things. Yeah, no, I've had it done. And it's, it's hard to retrain a lot of that. It's hard to sort of like, you know, I mean, I, I see what he, he's saying, but it's definitely, it then has to be a practice. You know, he's like being a little taller, being a little quieter on my feet, you know, the whole thing, like, but, yep. but it's so easy just to fall right back into what you've been doing for decades, I don't know, you know, years. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, for me, it's more about just, I mean, I think as runners, it's so hard. Like the biggest trick is staying injury free. Like that's, if you can stay injury free, you're going to have a trajectory a positive trajectory, you know, and for me, it's just helping like emphasize the habits for runners. So if you can do some activation work, not that like, again, any of this is going to be the silver bullet, but if you can set those good habits in place of like 
activation and movement prep before you run. And then that good, like more static stretching rolling after, like, I think that's a pretty good start, you know? And again, Mm -hmm. for me, it's just like, so I don't know. I feel like runners are kind of a little bit more antiquated in the way they train. And why do you say that? I don't know. I just feel like they, they're kind of, and I guess the ones I'm working with are more ultra runners and it's very much an all a more is better mentality. Like I was just on the phone last night with this, with a guy who's interested in training and, you know, his body's broken down. And it's like, I asked like, so what do you do besides running? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, that's why, you know, like you, you have to be more thoughtful and more systematic, you know? And it's, again, it's not like, and I think it's like trying to change this is like, oh, this isn't like a sacrifice. This is the ability to get better, like get your body f- more functionally fit and, and op- like operating optimally. And you're going to run better. You're mm-hmm. going to have a way better experience. You know, I think people see it as, oh, I got to get on the mat and do that. Like, oh man, it's going to make you so much better. Right. Right. So you, you've mentioned some of this over and over again, trunk stability work and activation work. What does, what does trunk stability work mean to you? Like what, what kind of exercises does that entail? Like for me as, as, as runners and cyclists, we're, we're trying to create stability, right? So like, I also coach cross-country skiers. They're trying to be super dynamic and active through their trunk Mm -hmm. and flexion and extension, because that's a big part of the way they produce power for us. It's about, like I said, on the bike, like it's not easy to be able to hold like a stable posture, like neutral, like it's not, not easy at all. And especially, you know, like, again, as mountain bikers, you want to be able to have that attention on those, on you, on the things you really need to think about not Mm -hmm. holding neutral posture. And so for me, it's, it's really about like, like starting more simple with more static type things like planks, and then, you know, gradually increasing the complexity of that. And I think you still do need to do like some med ball stuff to create some power and strength. You know, it's, it's like any good strength program. You have to have a variety of, of those kind of components. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the other tissue care is, is something that you recommend also on a daily, like the rolling or the taking care of your mobility. You know, what, what does it look like in practice in a week? Is, is just, are these things you should be doing every day, every other day? I mean, ideally speaking. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I'm always kind of tempering this, like with ideal, with what's practical. Right. And I mean, honestly, in my mind, it's always, it's always in my mind when I'm writing training plans of like the athletes, like life demands and not yeah. like putting all this stuff into training peaks and them going, ah, and running away. <laughs> Shut it down. Right? <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think for me, like an ideal case is like if trunk stability can happen like 30 to 45 minutes, three days a week, that's awesome. And I love trunk stability because it's stuff you can do right on the floor. It's not that you have to get to the gym. There's no production. And then the hip activation work is Again, something I learned from Dr. Powers, and, and it's not meant to be the silver bullet. It's not meant to be the end all. It's just a starting point. But, you know, if that can happen, say two to three days a week for 20 minutes. And again, I, even though it's important for all athletes, I feel like it's especially important for runners. What would that, what, what do those, those exercises look like? So it's interesting because a lot of PTs prescribe these, but it, Dr. Powers 
prescribes the protocol differently. And this is based on, gosh, probably now 20 years of research. And his, his real focus is like the runner soccer, like women's soccer players with ACLs and return to sport. And um, he does it differently. So it's, it's like, I'm sure you've seen these mini band over the knees, clam, for example. Yes. Mm-hmm. Non, non-weight bearing clam is, is one of his, but his, what he says is hold that statically because what we're really Ooh. trying to do is create, create change. And mm-hmm. he says that the hip, because it's a very redundant joint has, we can move it in lots of different ways. And for whatever reason, we've kind of neglected these main, these kind of like prime st- stabilizers and prime movers. So the fact that your non-weight bearing helps you really isolate that glute medius holding end of range helps you, or excuse me, holding statically helps that brain really connect to that muscle. And what he says by that static hold is you're developing, you're developing more real estate on the cortex Hmm. for the, for that glute medius. And then once you have that real estate, then you can develop it. But if that real estate isn't even there, you can't develop it. So I see a lot of PTs prescribe this work, but it's dynamic. And I know when I'm doing dynamic work, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. I got to feed the dog, all of that, (laughs) as opposed to when I hold it statically, I'm really focused on like that sensation. And that's to him, the big difference. That's interesting. That's interesting. It sounds like a lot of that's neuromuscular. It is. And he works with neurologists on this. So, you know, I mean, he's a PT. He really feels like his industry is like going to go away if they don't see results. And he feels like a lot of these PTs just like, Oh, stem and ice, stem and ice. And he's like, no, we have to see some lasting change here. And so he was really working towards that. That's interesting. And then where would you point women to find if they were looking to do more, um, you know, the trunk stability, you know, you mentioned the planks, but are there other um, modalities that you like that they could they could turn to, to find that kind of trunk stability work? You know, I'm just, I love, like, I really do love yoga. I mean, I think mm-hmm. yoga is kind of like, it, you have to be super functional in your trunk stability. And I love Pilates. I really do love okay. those two practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, yoga can be tricky. I've, I've discovered for our audience because there's so many variations of it, yes. right? Like yes. you have to, you have to find sort of what, what you're looking for and the right teacher and, 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 and such, but Matt Pilates is a, is a, is a good Avenue. Mm-hmm. I think to. Yeah. To I that feel like that practice is so precise and it's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we haven't covered that you think our audience would benefit from? Yeah. I think it's just for me, like I'd said, I don't think it's, I treat menopausal women any differently. It's just about listening to the athlete and being able to listen, understand like all the demands of life and be super nimble and flexible with the training plan, like on the fly. You know, I think that's the most important thing. Like to your point, when things get super hard and you're not getting good night's sleep and you're down in the dumps and, you know, just like you said, having that person and then just being able to go, Hey, it's okay. Like no big deal. We'll just, you know, no big deal. You missed that day. Then let's just hop back on the horse. And I think you're right. Like, I think that can be the problem is it gets, it's, it's downward spiral. Like one day becomes two days becomes three days. And I do think like that is the value of having a coach and like the sounding board of just helping you hop back on the horse. Totally agree. Totally agree. And it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I've been, I've been looking a lot about these AI 
I don't know if you've been paying attention to them, the, the, yeah. the AI stuff. Yes. And, you know, it, to a point that's good. It's good that you, you know, that if you have a coaching plan that you, when you miss a, miss a session, it sort of automatically adjusts for you and learns and whatever, but it still isn't talking to you. It still isn't saying, well, why did you miss that session? You know, like, and I think that that matters because I think you can still run into the same problems and the same spiral if you don't have that human being, you know, there's a place for that. And I'm not saying that, that, that there's not good things about that kind of a coaching plan, but you, you'll never replace someone like you who I can actually just speak to and, and talk to about my life. In, right. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I kind of had mentioned this, but I do have a love hate with data. And I think, you know, I see it in, in cycling where it drives me wacky that people just are so like focused on this power number. Power, power, you know? power. My yeah. FTP, and it's like everything yeah. is my power. <laughs> and I just keep like, I coach a bunch of U23 athletes. I'm like, you guys, that does not like hitting power numbers in training does not guarantee you or entitle you to a good race performance. There's so many other components to performance. And then, you know, I also think about like the whoop thing. And I mean, I think it's awesome or aura ring. Um, both of them. Yeah. But, but I feel like people are letting it dictate their lives. Like, Hey, this is just, this should just inform us. This should not dictate our decisions. I don't you even know. look at it like a race morning or a morning. I know. Like, exactly. Don't even look. Why would I exactly. even look? I know I've been up every hour exactly. looking at the clock. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. So I agree with you. Like there's this yeah. balance, you know, and like for me, sure. I can look at that data and training peaks, but it's the subjective comments. It's the conversations. Like that's where you really learn about the athlete. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I appreciate your time. This is, hey, uh, I, yeah. I really appreciate you thinking of me. And like I said, you're doing great things with this, like Thank building you. a real movement. That is my goal. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing goal. it. You're and doing it. I'll tell you what, I, I knew that, that um, I knew that I was plugging into something when I started it. Now I just had that sense and I didn't know how big it was. I, I, I will tell you that. Like I, I, uh, and it, it's, it's incredibly gratifying how appreciative the women are in the yeah, audience, that's awesome. just to, just to have that community and to be able to like, really just to, to know that they're like, not just knowing they're not alone. has been like such a huge thing. I can't, I cannot tell you how many times I hear that. Like, yeah. you know, it's, and cause so many, so many it's women at puberty or girls at puberty drop out of sport. And there's a lot of women at the other end of the line that drop out. And it's the same kind of thing that's happening, right? They feel a little yeah. weird. They feel alone. No one's talking, you know? And I think that it like just having that community keeps them a lot. I, I just hear it all the time. They're still, they're still in it because now they're like, Oh, I'm not alone. And they're finding other women to share their experiences with. And yeah. And I think, you know, we talked about this and it is really interesting for me just coaching. I mean, I coach, coach more men than women and, but yet I see this big difference and I'm not, I'm not, this is another generalization, but you know, women just are lousy at taking care of themselves. You know, like the women I coach, you know, it's, they're very much like put everything everyone in front of them and then you you eventually implode you know so it's just I think really helping women feel like hey this is good for you like this is your longevity and your I don't know so your I really sanity. yeah totally 100% you know so anyway I just think it's it's neat and I, I also had mentioned this to you like there's such lack of women voice on podcasts just generally so I think it's really cool you're out there 
Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branched chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Well, that's our show. So grab your pitchforks and join me next week when I get all fired up with Eleanor Cleghorn, the author of Unwell Women, Misdiagnosis and Myth in a Man-Made World. It is a jaw-dropping look at how Western medicine has treated and more often mistreated women and, of course, menopausal women throughout history. Be sure to come in and tune in for that one. And until next week, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Feisty.